Serious TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me again this week, the lemur to my lemming, he's the hawing to my hemming, it's Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, Scott. Ready to talk about uh, the showdown uh, in Fargo this week that, that you called last week? Well, I called it because I saw it in the ads. <laughs> it was, let me say this, the thing that you're referring to, it's a thing that I was looking forward to this week and i was not disappointed it i think it was my favorite or most interesting scene in the entire episode although there are a few definite close runners up in case anyone doesn't know what we're talking about we are here talking about the fifth episode of installment five or year five or season five of fargo and that episode title is the tiger Directed by Dana Gonzalez and written by the creator himself, Noah Hawley. By the way, before we even get into the episode, um, correct me if I'm wrong, and I often can be, even though I don't like to admit it on the podcast. There was a title card that said, Chapter 5, The Tiger. Yeah. Now, has there been a title card for any of the previous episodes? No, usually there's just the cold open, and it, you know, goes to the Fargo uh montage song and and it goes in i i don't remember there being an episode name title card yeah i um, am i'm fairly certain i've never seen a i don't recall them ever having a title card at the beginning of an episode especially for a series that has generally speaking fairly memorable or bizarre episode titles this is one of the more simpler titles which they've done before you know i remember it was a you know season four had one of those i think it was just east west or something like that but then you have the really long titles whatever um it just struck me as odd but i think noah hawley does like to be quirky with between fargo and legion how he can you know kind of screw their expectations as far as whether it be what uh, a recap of the previous episode and how they'll refer to it that way, which we know he likes to have fun uh, using any word other than previously <laughs> or things involving the title or some, sometimes out of nowhere, there will be narration. This is not the first time we've heard perhaps unexpected narration in a Noah Hawley episode. Um, and it took me a while. I kept thinking, I know that voice. I wasn't sure, but I have to admit it wasn't until the episode had completed where I saw, oh, Jason Schwartzman was doing the narration as far as telling us, you know, tales of the tiger. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm trying to think about it. I don't know if it was another Fargo episode. Did John Hamm do, like, the narration for, like, a Legion episode once? Or was it a Fargo episode I'm thinking of? I, I You say that, and it rings a bell, but I can't say for sure. I, I don't know. Can't remember which one it was. Although, wait a minute, is it the Fargo episode from season three? Is it? it, it wait, well, the, not even the one I'm specifically thinking of. The so season three, the one that has like you know McGregor and Carrie Coon on it. Is that the episode I'm thinking of that has that weird little interlude with the story of the saddest little robot or alien? You know, it, it's like, it's like really sad. It like, like, and it's bizarre and weird that's even, oh, because her, her, her father had been, you know, sort of a, a wannabe sci-fi writer. He like written maybe a bunch of paperbacks. So it was from Fargo. And I think there's a bit of narration there. But the one I'm thinking of with John Hamm, where he's talking about all these, is it Fargo or Legion? That's, if we, if we can look, if we can maybe maybe while you're chatting, I'll look it up or vice versa. Just go and I look under John Hem's name, and we'll figure it out. Because I know it was him doing the narration. I just can't remember if it was a Fargo or or Legion. Taking way too long talking about this. Point was, it's not unusual to see unexpected narration out of nowhere on a Noah Hawley project. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he figures out a way to get it into one of his Alien episodes in that new series he's going to be doing in the next year or two. 
Well, I, I know that he has used narration, um, a couple of other times and it, it stood out this time. Uh, but as you, as you look for it, I'll kick off the conversation, uh, by, by saying, I, I like, I've liked how, if you were going to binge this show, um, it's pretty seamless in its transitions week to week. Um, when we get to the start of the episode where sort of where we want it to be and it goes through, it goes through the story basically centered around the hospital and the aftermath, um, sort of the way the set piece was on the Halloween episode with it's the house and the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like the the structure of of this season has seemed to have a, a backbone that that Noah Hawley has imprinted upon it that, that I really enjoy. That it's you know these set pieces that aren't always in the same place, um, and then we move characters around to more familiar places on the periphery. Uh, so I, I enjoyed that. Uh, I like we've talked in previous episodes that minor characters come back and often come back. And, uh, you know, we even get the annoying, uh, patient, uh, who was screaming and yelling in the hospital previously about not being paid attention to comes back in this episode. Um, uh, we see the lobby of the hospital again. And, uh, so I, I, I really enjoyed that and the attention to detail and, and how we plug back into the hospital here. Right. Well, before, even before the hospital, what's interesting, we, I just made a semi joking reference to how Noah Hawley will screw with us, even with the previously on. And he said something else like antecedent, whatever the word is. Antecedently. Thank you. You're a lawyer. You know, you have to, you have to know how to pronounce words like that. Um, we don't always have those with Fargo. But I thought was interesting with this episode is first, we start off with Lorraine, who is not a character we've started off an episode with before, as far as I can recall. And we also ha- we're going through her memories. So in a way, we do get a little, we, we get a few flashback moments of things that have happened in previous episodes. That was our previously on Fargo yeah. through her own memory. And then we see from, then we see what plays out with, with Dodd as far as, you know, um, graves and those men and basically, uh, kidnapping her and, and having her committed. Um, and we do see that she really is a tiger. The, it, you, you couldn't come up with a more appropriate title for this episode when we see the action she goes through. Um, or we see the after, we hear about the possibility of it and then we see the after effects of it after. So we don't have to actually see her like biting the guy's into a guy's cheek or something, but we know that's what she did. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I like the way that she warns them, like, like, look now, you know, I, I, you may have heard that, that I killed a man and burned him up. And, uh, if, if you try to take me, I will bite you. <laughs> I mean, she, she, she tells them and, but, but it is, it is nice to have the, the narration talking about, you know, it's almost like one of those mutual of Omaha, uh, wildlife things or, or, you know, where the narrator's talking as you see the cheetah run across the plane and, right. you know, you see her being backed into a corner and, right. and what, what she'll do. And, uh, so that, that I thought, I thought it was kind of, it was, it was funny and it, it was effective. It was making me think of, uh, some, something you've seen or people have seen in different, um, say action movies or like, I haven't seen the film itself, but I have watched a clip of it recently. Um, one of those Facebook reel things. I just sat and watched it as an extended clip from, I think the, uh, the Tom Cruise version of Jack Reacher. And he's basically warning these guys, like, you don't, you don't want to do this because, you know, this is what, this is what's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to you. You guys are going to run off or, and then it, that's exactly what proceeds to happen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what happens here. Right. Uh, with her. 
Right, but they skip it all. Right. And you just see the aftermath, which is, you know, which which we've talked about the comedy, the comedy of her saying that. And then it cuts to her all strapped down in the. Yes. In the gurney. And it's like, oh, I'm I'm, I'm much better now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, it's. it was a very entertaining way to open the episode. Um, and I keep thinking about how, um, what's the, uh, Juno Temple, you know, reading these scripts and being it's like, okay, this is like the best part in the world for me. It's, it's, you couldn't be more night and day from, you know, what she did on Ted Lasso. And she's getting to flex a lot of fun muscles that, you know, she probably wouldn't necessarily have had the opportunity to do. Um, especially when he's kind of playing with different genres. We've talked about the horror aspect. We've, um, certainly just straightforward drama, whatever. And then with, with a lot of pathos to it. And this and this considerable comedy sprinkled throughout it as well. So you're getting to, you know, hit a lot of uh, buttons here. Um, So, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but I just want to add in, I hadn't thought about it, but until you said that it, it is, there's still sort of like almost a touch of Halloween that she's, you know, taken to the insane asylum and going to be committed, uh, but they're still coming for her. Well, if you want to, if you want to go in that direction, Halloween two takes place pretty much mostly in a hospital. So right, I, I mean, exactly. That's, that's um, what I'm talking. I'm a little. Conf- about. I, I'll confess, and, and I know something was established outside when we saw, I think maybe a specific wing, which might have been named after Walter Mondale or something. I'm not sure if that actually exists or not. <laughs> I, I like to think it does, but I suspect it doesn't. But it makes me laugh. Although I know, I think Mondale was originally from Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, so that the connection would make sense in that sense. The word. Um, I was more struck by the idea, like, okay, and I. I think there may be hospitals like that. I'm trying to think Bellevue might count actually in here in New York. Cause people, when, when someone from out of town hears Bellevue, probably because they watched Barney Miller back in the day or something, Barney Miller, B- Bellevue to them means, oh, that's, that's like the loony hatch in, in New York City. Well, Bellevue is a hospital. Now they might have a specific wing for that, which would explain what's going on here because I was thinking, wait, it's a regular hospital, but they also got one. They've they've got one part where they people are committed to, like a like a mental asylum part. It's like are those usually in the same building? Because it's usually for just security purposes, you wouldn't have that all under the same roof. But then I realized, hey, you know what? I'm not an expert in hospitals, so I don't know. Right? <laughs> well, there there can be like a, a hospital here near me has has a unit that is locked down for mental health. But as we see where she's at, you know, there's a guy across the hall purportedly there to have his bowel removed. And that wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't put a psych patient. Right. But, 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 you know, she's not supposed to be out of the restraints either. But that would be the floor that Wayne is on. And that wasn't the floor that she was originally on because she, she's about to leave. Then she comes back upstairs and she goes to that floor because she's, she's trying to save her husband from these guys. Um, Right. And, and, and and I don't know if it's comedy or unintentional, but go back and look at the entrance to that place and tell me why does it have an elevator? uh, I'd have to think about that kind of confusing me now it looks like a one-story building oh 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 uh i no i i think that's just a perspective it, 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 an actual hospital of that nature certainly has more than one one floor so yeah it's not a veterinary clinic so i wouldn't think that would be the case I, uh, i'm just saying i'll go back and look at it again I'll, I'll pull it back and put it on again all right oh I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on that you know, maybe it's underground you never know Anyway, anyway, but we digress. So, um, I think one of the most interesting things about this overall episode, um, is a character that, um, we might've sounded iffy about early on, you know, we were questioning performance choices, the voice, whatever I, I, to, to pat, not to pat myself on the back at all. It's not that kind of a thing. I got what they were doing more because I was like, okay, they're they're literally riffing on a different Coen Brothers thing with the Jennifer Jason Lee voice, you know, because that was the thing that people talked about the most with the Hudsucker Proxy was the strange choice, which, which I kept at the time said, it's not a strange choice. 
this half of this most of this movie is a takeoff on 1940s kind of fast talking screwball comedy, which is what they did with that was a character. So this is kind of her her the, the Lorraine Lion voice here is also eerily like a voice out of a character from that period and that type of movie. It just seems obviously it's far more out of place because this isn't a period piece. It's it's two thousand unless you consider two thousand nineteen a period. But putting that aside, because I think once you got used to it, it's fine. And he's in, in it, it kind of, and it's nice to have a voice that's different than everybody else. I like having the fact that you're going to have mostly Minnesotan accents in this, you know, as Fargo generally does, so that we get a voice like what John Hamm is doing and what she is doing. Because I mean, obviously, even though John Hamm's supposed to be from North Dakota, he still has a very different accent than even that would be. And other people are like, okay, I like hearing the diff- the variety of voices here. And we didn't, and like, we didn't see him in this episode, but Munch has certainly has a different way of speaking. I like when characters have very different types of voices, even even if it's over uh, somewhat over the top. And that I think is what our issue was initially with Jennifer Jason Lee's. Uh, voice we felt is a bit over the top. Although if we can accept a dude wearing a an inexplicable white eye patch that she's talking to all the time, I think we can accept her having an odd speaking voice. But the thing is, through the first few episodes, for the most part, she's been set up as like an additional antagonist villain, someone not to like. On, in, in the series, um, much as Roy is, Roy is the main antagonist. You know, the main person we're supposed to be rooting against, or because we we want to make sure that Dot's going to be okay, whatever. So we have this scene, and it's after Lorraine has that scene with those two men, the bankers, right? And the interesting thing about that scene is just how quickly and easily she asserts herself in. In a in this male dominated sphere that she's in, because these men, even when she establishes who she is, they still want to be talking to the lawyer. They're not taking her seriously, even though she's actually the CEO, the main person, and he's and Graves is just her mouthpiece, her lawyer. Right. So the the way she shreds them feels so warranted in that scene. When the guy says lady, he's like, okay, that's $10 million. I've just lowered the asking, you know, the price on for whatever. I even love her just getting, look at you guys, burgers and fries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's so much about that scene that kind of, even if it, it, she kind of almost wins you over. It's like, okay, I, I, I see what she has has had to deal with over the years. Well, we've talked in the past uh, about Fargo that depending on the scene, you, you may change your perspective of who you're for. Right. And in this scene, you're you're rooting for her. Um, and you kind of I, I thought the line I liked is when he said, hold on there, lady. And she goes, there it is. Like, yeah. oh, she yeah. was waiting Great. on him. Yeah. Like, like I, I love that because it said so much and, you know, in a few words. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was, it was great because then we see her go up against another person later right. in the episode. Right. That's and that's a different conversation. It, it's the very next scene, actually. Yeah. Uh, between, um, we get, with what we uh, refer to, hinted at, however you want to say it, at the very beginning of the podcast, um, we get Lorraine Lyon and Roy Tillman meeting. Um, so, never mind. And, you know, one can say, oh, Munch is also a villain. I'm like, yeah, 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 but, you know, whatever. The, these are the two in power people who have their own, you know, they have their own little ki- kingdoms as such, who are not, a, who don't really know each other and are meeting for the first time. And their and their common, the person they have in common is Dot slash Nadine. And as I said earlier, it's a scene that does not disappoint. Because what's interesting is Roy Tillman has not really encountered someone quite like this before. But at a certain point, he he knows just the type of person that she is and what she represents. The same applies to Lorraine. She usually doesn't bother dealing with people like this because remember they established in that earlier episode how she views like people, you know, police officers. The way she calls them officer, 
and she, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm a sheriff, whatever. But she's, there's a line he has in it, something about the way she's looking down his nose at him. And I was like, oh, that's, it's a, it's a fascinating back and forth scene because she thinks she can just buy him off. And although I'm sure there's many things he's done in that town about how he wields power and, and there's money involved, you know, with, with like with the, with the, with, with, with the, gu- with the guns for the, for the militia and all this, that, and the other thing. But that's not what this is ever going to be about for him. Right. But I, I it, what, it's what you just said. The thing I found fascinating about this scene, that's why I, that's why it's my favorite scene in the entire um, episode. I spent the entire scene kind of flipping back and forth in my mind. Like, I'm not sure who I should be, if one should be even rooting for anyone in general, but who am I rooting for here? And then I kind of took a step back and I was thinking about the series overall and, and what, and where we are with it. And, Look, I, I might have a, a somewhat darker perspective than than mo- most. I'm sure many people they're they're pretty much cut and dried. Well, we're rooting for Dot, and it's just and everyone else is just you know a form of an obstacle for her, whatever. And I, I do get that up to a point, but I have to say at the same time, like there's there's things about Lorraine, like I oh I'm looking forward to when Indira brings her down because that's gonna happen. And by the way, I think what I said last week feels a bit more like I might have been, I might be closer to being right when she uh, pretty much lists everything that she knows about Indira and her debt level. And I think, oh, I think she might have had something to do with that little phone call she got. I think, you know, like, oh, you, you might want to press that button. You might want to give that person a call. $192,000. Oh, Jesus Christ. So we want that to happen. Right, so we're so we're rooting for Lorraine to be taken down there, but then you have these other scenes where it's like, oh, but here's the thing: I don't know who. I know I should be rooting for Dot over Lorraine, but there's a weird part of me that isn't, <laughs> and I and I feel bad about that. I know I'm rooting for the wrong side, but it's part of me is like, but Lorraine's been right about her. <laughs> <laughs> to, to whatever extent the, the only thing the only thing that uh i would counter that i don't i don't disagree with you that you got some really good lorraine material in this episode right. uh to flesh her out but the thing the thing that i appreciated about dot was she did risk herself to still protect her husband Right. Um, oh, absolutely. So, so like, there may be this element of wanting a different life, of hiding. I, I don't. I, I do think Dot may love him in her own way, uh, but was damaged, and we get confirmation. You know, there's uh, the talk in this that that he hit her, that that John Ham, you know, Roy Tillman hit her. Um, there may be something that 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 guy was the guy that that she she does love him in her own way, and I think it's sweet when she switches him out to protect him later, uh, because she could have just booked it. Um, yes, I would, but I, I would see, I would, I would counter that if I was going to continue this path is. Everything Lorraine's doing as far as her suspicions and dislike and et cetera regarding Dot is all due to how her caring about her son. Correct. She's I, that, I agree that, with that. And she actually does love her granddaughter as well. It's just that person in between them. And again, what Dot's been revealed here is like, I can't help but think at least Fuzz and Lorraine, she was like, oh, so I was right. She isn't what she appears to be, you know. This she, or you know, forget everything else. She's a liar. She's been lying this entire time. Right now, she may not know the specifics of why. And now she might be getting the gist of it a little bit here from from the conversation with Roy Tillman, and and we hear the much darker side of that later in the episode during um, Dot's conf- semi and v- vague, but still 
tells you what you need to know confessional with Indira later on. Um, that kind of fills in a gap how she fell in with them when she was 15 mm-hmm. and married, married at 17. Him when 17. And the thing that I found most um, disturbing, if one if one would find it disturbing at all, and I guess one should if one's, you know, human, um, wasn't specifically just the how she implies that she was hit, which of course she does. She implies there was something more than that. Um, and I, I keep saying it, it's not even implies. She's saying it. You know, she's just not using the very specific words, but you know what she's talking about. You know, it wasn't just that he hit her. He also did things to her and got on top and did what he had, did what he wanted to do, regardless of whether clearly, and she doesn't say it if it was something that she w- was amenable to. So she wasn't just beaten. My my feeling is she was raped and beaten during this. Yeah, time. I mean the talk yeah. of a wife being property and submitting to to the man right, and uh, right, right. And, and 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 it's interesting because again we I, I I talk about shifting loyalties and like in this very episode like when we're seeing the scene between Lorraine and Roy Tillman, Lorraine taking the perspective of how much like she did with the previous cops. And she's again looking down on someone. She's got this very, uh, you know, beyond elitist point of view. You know, she's thinking, oh, this is just some common du- cop dude. She can just buy off whatever, and doesn't doesn't really give him the time of day. And, and yes, one can feel the frustration in him because he's not used to being spoken to this way or being treated this way because he's a man of power, or whatever. Which is interesting because that's you know that it, that comes into the whole play of how he how he views women. And and on that respect, it's hard to root for Roy. But in the respect of just someone being talking down to you like you're beneath them, and the, and that's how she addresses pretty much everybody. You kind of want him to get the best of her, even if just in the spoken word. Like I took a great deal of satisfaction in his subsequent little discussion with Graves outside. Because he pretty much leaves it as a something of a threat. I think Graves even says, "Did you are you threatening us or something?" Um, and part of me is like, "Well, it's going to be interesting. I don't know if, how far they're going to go with this." But although we've certainly seen crazier things in Fargo seasons past or whatever, but in that moment, it's like, "Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see them both take each other down," <laughs> you know. Or maybe it's it's this thing like everything is set up where I don't mind if a character succeeds against one person, but I want them to lose to someone else. Like I don't like like if 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 Roy makes a point with these people and how he's being treated, but Dot is eventually the one who takes him down as it should be. I'm fine with that. I think Indira is the one who's going to eventually take down Lorraine and and so on and so forth. You know. Like Munch, I don't know. It's going to be something between him and, and his kid, I think, more than anything else. And that one, he almost, I almost want to root for the kid, but the kid's such a little scumbag. How can you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, I, I, I thought there was a, a real good moment that uh, he sees Scotty. Yes, and you know, we we had we had wondered about her age and could, could he be Scotty's dad? And with the implication that she was raped at a young age, I don't think there's much doubt left in my mind that Scotty's going to turn out to be his daughter is going to be am, Roy's I daughter. Am, I am, I am 100%. The only way she's not his daughter is if Noah Hawley decided, okay, I just threw this big red herring at you to make you think this, but that's, but it's total bullshit. That's never going to be. I don't think that's true. I think he's absolutely positively her father. Um, and it'll be interesting for when that reveal does happen, how it happens, in front of whom it happens, and and how that will factor into how the season resolves itself and, and his character and whatever eventually happens to his character. Yeah, I, I and I mean that could go a long way towards how all of them act, including Lorraine. If that's not really her granddaughter, how does she react? You know, I, I think she's the kind of person that would be like, well, you're not pure blood. You're not my granddaughter, you know? Um, 
So uh, it, it, it could spell a really, really interesting uh, turn for a lot of the characters. I did find it, uh, I did find it curious that we saw a lot of people, but we didn't really see much and we didn't see Laverne Morris's state trooper, uh, this episode. And I wondered what, you know, it, if we'll get more of them next episode or if they've been tucked away for later, uh, because Indira takes such a big part in the back part of this episode. Well, I figure Indira is the lead of the two, so you really needed to get do more with her in the first place. Um, it doesn't surprise me that not every character is going to appear in the episode because I think the certain storylines are, are more on a low boil, a simmer kind of a situation. Munch is going to be in the very next episode. I, I watched it, saw the trailer for it after the show was over. Um, I'm very curious about that actually because it looks like it's him meeting with, uh, the John Hamm character and maybe things are being resolved in the way that you thought. I don't trust that, of course. I don't think that's actually how it's going to play out. But um seems like he's munching to be bouncing off a few different characters in the next episode, so we're going to see a lot of him. I don't recall seeing um Wit in that in the, in the trailer, but it doesn't mean he's not going to be in the episode. I'm assuming I'd be surprised if back to back episodes he's not in. So I'm assuming he'll show up next week. So we have this big chunk of the episode. We're back in the hospital, and I love it. There's, there's a certain zaniness to it. Because we have all these different forces converging, you know, you know, you, you've got the men who are working on behalf of Roy because they're going to go in and, and grab the husband. But then you have the feds there. But then you have that she's already escaped, so you have people in the hospital who are look, trying to track her down and 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 and, and grab her and and so on and so forth. And it there's a certain kind of fun madcap nature to it because you know my favorite part is when that when the uh, I guess it's a, the the nurse at the desk um, says you're not Stacy or Sally or where's state whatever because I think if I'm not mistaken she's not just wearing her um her scrubs she's got she's her ID her on yeah so that that's the <laughs> that's the yeah she she scans it to get out the door right I love like she starts to answer and then she's just like <laughs> just runs off and then it's like yeah get her I really yeah, appreciate and, the and the, the other the male guy stands there and eats noodles for a second before it registers what happens and and he takes off. But uh, yeah, I I like the uh, and and Dot smartly you know uh, sees what's happening and and after the switch uh, stands and talks to them so that you know Joe Carey's character Gator can't grab her. Right. Uh, because obviously they're not going to cause a scene in front of the, the feds. feds. Right. Well, and she, well, she grabbed, it's interesting. She does some moves that we've, I've seen before, you know, that there's a tried and tr true trusted thing when someone's trying to escape a hospital situation. There's always that random lady in a wheelchair that you'll, or old dude in a wheelchair that you just start wheeling somewhere. And I was thinking, you're going to leave them somewhere random, which is exactly what she ends up doing, clearly, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I like that she does a variation on uh, a previous scheme where she switched around all the uh, street signs. Now she's switching around, you know, the labels um, telling you which patients are in which room to try to, which, Again, normally would have just been a temporary delay, except when you realize they don't know what her husband actually looks like. So of right. course they're going to take the wrong person. And I do we should we feel bad for Mister Balix? I'm pretty sure they're not going to deliver him back safe and sound. I'm pretty sure he's going to be left in a ditch somewhere. Um, but yeah, the funny thing with the feds was. There's like a moment you think, okay, I mean, obviously she's smart by talking to them, by standing, saying them, but she also doesn't really have a choice either. Right. Because Joe Curie is there. Um, Gator. I don't need to refer to him by the actor's name. Um, but it, it also gives us a, a gauge on the, the intelligence factor with the feds because they don't think that by letting her go to the, considering the way she's acting, because the entire time they're talking to her, she's not even making eye contact with them. She's clearly jittery. She's clearly looking in the other direction, looking down. I don't know why neither of them look down the hall themselves to see what it is she's focusing on, but whatever. But 
you, at this point in time, you know, even if you can say that, you know, you're okay, we'll help you, whatever, but you're still a fugitive and you let her go to the bathroom by herself. One of you is a female. And, and, and the guy says, like, I just feel like she's relieved that it's over. <sighs> so I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't very impressed, especially with no. Joaquin. Uh, no. But, but the feds in that instance, cause, and she should have went in there with her. Like, you know, just, you know, use it, whatever, just to make sure. No, I'm looking because you don't know. Um, I I did enjoy some of the oddness that happened with her husband, because now we can really see like, oh, he's he's there's a he, he might be suffering a little bit more brain damage than we thought. When the, one of the first things he says is, "What's money?" Yeah. Like, it's one thing to be somewhat, you know, amnesiac or something where, like, you can't remember who someone is, whatever. But when you don't understand certain basic words and concepts and, you know, talking about being rich and I don't know what that what that is, whatever. It's like, oh, okay. They rewound the clock on you. (laughs) So that's that that that's disturbing. I don't know if they, I don't know if that's going to be the way his character is going to be for the rest of the, of the of the season. I have no idea. I don't know if this is an actual, you know. Then again, if if his mind suddenly snapped back, would that even be believable? I don't I don't know. <sighs> Interesting part. Interesting part. Yeah, and and then we move to the then we move to her making a play for Scotty and uh we see Scotty playing hockey looks like right. uh you know hitting hockey pucks um and scotty goes missing and the men take off and later we see dot's plan which i i thought at the moment i i didn't think she would go to indira i thought that was an interesting choice i i don't know right i, I it i think it just goes to her desperation because where is she going to go? They, the, the, here's the thing about TV shows in general. Oh, by the way, one thing I left up because I, I, but I have to mention because it keeps happening to me. Another thing I loved writing was when Wayne Wayne doesn't say his foot's asleep; he says his foot's unconscious. Yeah, I've never heard anyone ever refer to their foot as being unconscious. And I just thought it's interesting. He he thinks to use a word like that as opposed to asleep. He might he might not even have the concept of saying the word sleep, be able to say unconscious. I, I thought that was just a brilliant little touch there. Anyway, going back to what you were bringing up uh, with Scotty and then bringing her to Indira's and what I was just about to say about TV shows in general. I always find it interesting when you watch any any show. You name the show. It doesn't matter. You know, it could be a show we've talked about. You know, better better call Saul, because that's the show we talked about a lot on this, right? And we know, and and one of our favorite characters is Kim Wexler, and we know about Kim Wexler and her, and we know about her relationship with you know Jimmy McGill, and where she used to work, the the previous law firm. Which, but the funny thing when you think about it, like, hey, here's a question. I'm just using again. I'm just using took random show, random character, and not some evil crime lord, whatever. Just a regular person, whatever. It's like, hey, do you ever think about? Does Kim have any friends? Does Kim have like you know people she talks to on a semi regular basis or hangs out with or does does things with goes goes to see a movie or have dinner or watch TV or channel? The implication always is no. And if you think about every and you can go to like all these different shows about that, it's like you know you know I, I don't want to use, keep using female characters. I was gonna say like Skylar, like. Outside of Skylar and her, her sister, who does Skylar ever talk to other than Walt? <laughs> you know, until she goes back to work, whatever, or, or or Walt himself. Like he he definitely knows the principal. But does do we see him really interact with other teachers? Teachers usually go out on Friday nights and have a couple of drinks before they go home. Has Walt ever done that? Does does Walt just leave the solitary? And maybe he does, but but. If you think I'm just talking about every show, I always think about that. Like, uh, it always seems like these characters only have the only have very limited social lives. They have very limited social circles. So, with the reason I'm saying all that, Dot has created this life for herself here in this you know Minnesota suburb, and she's putting on the accent, and she's raising the kid, and she's m- met Wayne, she got been married, and so on and so forth. And they do they did establish she was at a 
whether it's supposed to be like a PTA meeting or something or a school yeah. board, school board meeting, whatever. Yeah. Oh, but, but they never got, gave us any impression she had any connection to any other person or parent there. She just seemed to be aghast at everyone, everyone else. She's on a block with neighbors. They haven't even established there's any connection between her of any kind or friend friendship with any neighbor, which might have been a thought who she might have gone to and realized, you know what? They haven't established if she has friends. And again, it's one of the things, if you've lived there for like the last 10 years, chances are you you would have friends, but it's a t- it's kind of like a TV thing. It's like, yeah, unless they're going to yeah, be the, you know what I'm Probably even more than any other character, though, somebody like Dot who doesn't want to be found is probably going to extremely limit her social circle. But it it does make you wonder why did she go? Why would she go to the school board meeting if she doesn't want anybody to possibly recognize her? Yeah. Um, so uh, it, yeah, yeah. Going, I, I mean, I think also that's if, you, a, if you're going tr- and also if you're doing things, you're raising a kid in in that neighborhood. You're not. You don't want the kid to be shut out from everything. So you are participating. You're you're going trick or treat. You're planning to go trick or treating with your kid, and you do up your house as though you're going to have people pop over and stuff. Not 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 all well, the booby traps, uh, but <laughs> but just in general. Um, I, I'm not questioning it as far as like a flaw. It's just, I just, I always found that interesting when I, and I've been thinking about this for decades when I watch TV over the years, whatever. I always think, wow, you know, I, I, I always found it admirable when I watch like an old TV show or something and they would make reference to other people or other friends all the time. And I, mean, I can go back to, I don't know, the honeymooners, but Ralph Cramden refers to other people all the time. He refers to different people at work and different friends and people at the lot. It's like, okay. Even if we don't always see them, I believe Ralph Crandon has more than just Ed Norton as a friend. He has, he's friends with several people. Norton might be his closest friend, but I believe he might have a, a few dozen friends, whatever. But then we go to, like, I don't know. Let's, I'll pick one of your favorite shows. The Office. How many friends does Jim have outside of The Office? And is he really, fr- and is he really friends with people in that office? I mean, really? <laughs> He he has a couple throughout the show, but they're not very well developed. Right. Again, not a. Fl- it's just no. That's that's part of how these shows. Not are a bug, written. a feature, right? Yeah. It, it just it doesn't. It's just one of those things that just occurred to me. But when we're talking about that, it's like okay, but the way they've established her character, like, well, there isn't anywhere else for her to go, unless they just come up with someone out of nowhere. It's like, oh, she happens to have this. This other mother she's known for the last seven years who's raising this other kid and they see each other at the playground. Ben want the time for that. The, the cop makes sense because she remembers that she was not, even through all those things, she was still trying to be patient and nice to her. And she knows she's in trouble. And at this point, the jig is up, so to speak. Um, because the last time they met, I guess, at the hospital and when she when she was there with Wit, it was like, no, no, no. We know it was you. We we know you were trying to escape. We have video footage of you. This man recognizes you, knows it was you. <laughs> and, and, you know, if, you know, Mr. If, 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 if eye patch wasn't over, you know, you know, you know, albino snake Pliskin wasn't over here, you know, <laughs> we'd be having more of a conversation about this. Escape from Sioux City. <laughs> so, um, Try to think where we oh, where I want to go. Oh, where Endura's. So we have the whole scene between her and Endura, right? Which is basically the end of the episode as well. Um, and that, to me, I guess is the other big conversation scene in, in the whole episode because, as, I, as you were saying earlier, it's Dot finally coming clean up to a point, finally admitting where because she's been just variant. She's been lying and variations on lying for the entire five episodes. Understandably so. You know, a lot of these things you're not going to, you know, like, of course she's going to tell Scotty he's he's nobody, I just know him, whatever. It's like, yeah. Which already tells like, yeah, yeah, I think he's more than that. Um, I love the entire line because I kept thinking about how how much or little sense it made in the moment when she refers to quite a week that, um... <laughs> That dad has had. I can't think of anyone else who that weird. Maybe Amelia Earhart. And I went, Yeah. Wait, because Amelia Earhart disappeared? 
Is that why we're going with the Amelia Earhart thing? Yeah, we're going with someone who wasn't we don't suspect was like murdered like Hoffa or or Judge Crater or someone. She's just someone who disappeared, which probably means, you know, whatever. But uh was that sound effect good enough for the podcast? I don't think so. <laughs> but um I really like their conversation. I like when they speak in both vagaries and analogies as well as being direct the whole thing about uh, a dream when you realize you're not and, and realizing when you're not tall enough to reach it which is, which is such yeah. an interesting for, way to phrase that I'm like oh i've never heard a phrase that way but then you think about how people you know keep reaching for your reaching for you like okay you know what that's actually a really well said thing and i've i've just never heard it said that way before yeah i love that line and i love the staging um you know, th there's always good direction and photography on this show, but I love that the two women move to the kitchen table mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, to talk. And when they move, you know, the camera moves over and they're having this talk about what it's like to be a woman. And in the background, Scotty, and you see Scotty, you know, like it, it framed all the women in that house. Uh, with them keeping her out of earshot, but talking about what it really is to be a woman. And the line that 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 stood out to me that I just thought was, I mean, the writing I thought was brilliant, um, you know, that that they hit you and they do things to you when they feel small so they can get on top of you and feel feel large again. And the the way Dot talked about the abuse she suffered. Uh, I thought was was really well written, and like you said, alluded to without going too far, but delivered all the information you needed uh, for her to basically say, like, I know you think I'm crazy, but here's why I've done all these things because this is who this guy is. And it was interesting because initially she's under the impression, and maybe she's actually correct in that singular moment that Indira is not going to go along with this, that she can't do this. She's, a, you know, she's an officer of the law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then when Indira, but that's when Indira's husband comes in. So we do get to see the, the, the jerk again. And we, we realize that he is from what she has said about, you know, with the credit cards and she's, and that's the dream she's referring to before. Uh, not all, but a significant portion of the reason why they're in debt and we kind of skipped over the whole debt conversation from earlier, um, is him. He's, yeah. it, it's his fault to, you know, whatever. Um, and that's, it's there the back and forth with him. And that's when she decides, no, I'm going to, she, she lies, says, you know, she's, she's just a friend, whatever. And that Scotty's going to be staying with them for a few days. And, and so I, I thought that was an interesting moment. Where, and I love the kids, the guy's reaction. Like, he's like, wait, a real kid? <laughs> you know, or something. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah but, but you, but, but I think you see it in, in that moment that the, the difference, the difference between them is that she was married to a doofus. Um, and that, Dot is married to sort of a doofus now, and there's a similarity. The only difference between them is Dot's doofus, you know, isn't spending all this money on trying to be a pro golfer and is rich and has yeah. a trust fund. But she was married to a terrible man right. before. Dot, Dot's doofus seems at least responsible, and whereas Indira's, um has not grown up. Or is right. it, she hasn't woken up yet. The thing, it's funny, you were mentioning um, the staging and how they approached the, the kitchen table. It was interesting because the last time we saw like a kitchen table scene or something like along those lines was actually the scene between um, Dot and Lorraine. Several episodes ago, the little confrontation between them, although different type of table, and they're actually on the same side as opposed to facing each other in that scene. Um, but anyway, you talk about the stage and you see Scotty in the background. All that's absolutely uh, well said. Um, the other thing that struck me, um, which made the scene work even more from my, from my perspective, they break out the original Fargo theme. 
Yeah. The original, the, I mean, the Fargo, which came from, which comes from the movie, and they have used it on the series from time to time. They don't, they don't hit us over the head with it very often. But every once in a while, they've broken it out. And because I, I always loved the original Fargo theme, you know, there's something, so there's a, there's a somber yet sprightly quality to it. And then it kind of has a moment, then it has moments of being almost bombastic when you realize it's, it, it's, there's so much, I, I always love that, that piece of, that piece of music from the original movie because I felt like it almost played a character in it because it kind of re- really said a lot. I, I love when music really can do that for any film over the years. And most of my favorite composers can have pulled it off with, with, with certain pieces and just hearing it here. To me, that was also, bef- and, and it starts pretty early in the scene. When, I think once they sit down, I think that's when, and Dot's about to begin talking um, about what, what had happened. And it lends weight to it. It's like, this is important. Could they have played that scene with no music whatsoever? Absolutely. Of course they could have. But it, but it helped, un- I mean, no pun intended, it totally helped underscore it. <laughs> oh yeah know? yeah so. well I, I if you look at the episode i mean one of the few notes i made um we've had fairly recognizable songs played throughout episodes they completely laid back on the music this yeah. time yeah i think to to make this hit even harder um i mean there were the the typical tv score pieces that that played throughout the episode but we didn't get a pop song we didn't get a rock and roll song we you know there wasn't a pop culture moment so that when this music hit it hit hard yeah i i absolutely agree with that i felt because they decided to go have the the choice of just adding narration in the like in the, during the first act um if you're going to do that then you're not going to have music because I'll just it, it'll just muddy it. It'll just interfere with it. And then it's, it was what you just said. It just it, it, there was there was never a scene or a moment that I felt n- that even would have made sense. You know, I mean, I mean, could he have come up with something? Maybe it would have worked. Sh- sure, but did I feel it was missing? No, I just. But I was like you. I I was aware by the end of the episode. Like, hey, after I wrote down the note, ooh, Fargo music. I went. Oh, but you know what? You know what? There hasn't been in this episode the, the the usual odd little musical choices that he he tends to make from episode to episode, which I'm okay with that. You know, because you know, got to be different. Got to be different. Yeah, and and I'm curious. I mean, the, the obvious answer is she's headed to Roy's compound, right? Right. But but what's the not obvious answer to that question? Well, I think she has to go somewhere first before she goes to Roy's because it's just her in a car. She's going to need something else. Either she wants to either be a weapon or something. Although we've already seen what happened when she tried to get a gun. So there is that. But I, I feel she's gonna, there has to be something more than that. Um, we just, I just don't, I can't figure out what it might be just yet dot seems to be someone who has been thinking on her quick on her feet for a lot not all of her ideas or schemes are logical necessarily so they're a little bit zany and crazy zany again geez crazy you know like making your house turn into like a home alone on steroids kind of a thing Which is like okay, so yeah, electrify all the windows in the house. That's that's a plan, but don't don't tell your husband in case he ever want, in case he might want to open up a window one one night. Which is like maybe not the best plan. But um, yeah, and I'm I'm trying to remember the tra- the trailer didn't. I don't think the trailer really revealed or gave away anything with her in in the next episode. At least I'm not remembering it. Because all I remember seeing in the ad was stuff with Munch interacting with uh, both Roy and Gator. I can't re- I for the life of me, I don't. I can't remember anything else that was in it. You know, I mean, they don't want to give away too much in those trailers anyway. Sure, so. I, I, I think you know. I'm. This is not a prediction. This is just me brainstorming mm-hmm. the, my own question. It, it would be interesting to see her go to someone who maybe helped her escape or 
maybe the person that helped her get away from him. Uh, if there's a person we haven't met yet, like a friend, uh, you know, someone that she goes to get assistance from that maybe was the, you know, the last person that she saw when she left that life behind. Hmm. It's possible. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't, I, although part of me doesn't like the introduction of someone we haven't met before. Cause then that, that comes off as the direct machina kind of a thing. Sometimes it's a little harder, harder to avoid, but also if you do it early enough in the season, cause now it's going to be episode six is the next episode, right? Yeah. All right, episode six, but it's a ten episode season. I'm willing to forgive it if it. They waited till like the ninth or tenth episode. That would probably bug me. Be like, no, no, you you can't introduce somebody I haven't even heard of until now to be someone that becomes you know a source of help or assistance. Six episode. If they want that route, they can get away with it. I, I'd probably be okay with it as long as it makes sense. So that's interesting. I hadn't really thought of it that way before. Very, very interesting. You so smart, Brian. Anyway, <laughs> just a thought I had. Yeah. Maybe you're maybe you're the zookeeper on this episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that whole conversation. But by the way, the the the, the earlier conversation between Lorraine and um, and Dira, where where she establishes how she knows. Well, she knows the total. I love that her. I think that, is this not the second time that Lorraine has done some sort of. Um, her theories of the of someone's origins have been totally wrong about them when she said it, or and if you want to count that, maybe three times, whatever. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting, but also really setting up a reason, uh, for it for Indira to really hate her, and 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 ta- and I'm just I'm curious how that's gonna go down. It and again, maybe it won't because I. While she's not a quote unquote good person, and you know she's in charge of this you know debt debtor um, empire, or whatever. I don't know, and I know that I, I think there was some issue when she someone was talking to her about. Wait, are there some failings with her company that that they think are being covered up or something? Something the reporter brought up, or am I crazy? I'm just I'm just trying to think if they've ever established that there's anything corrupt about her. I don't think not. they've established a crack in the foundation. Okay, uh, but it it is it is funny that like the you know that that she always talks about it's it's not like credit collection; it's redemption. Yeah, like that that she uses the word redemption. And, and, and it's it's during that scene with Indira where she's going through the whole the zoo analogy and and the whole about animals, <laughs> and Indira actually has to feel compelled to say it's like I'm I'm not an animal. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you know who 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 typically attacks zookeepers? The big cats, tigers. That's right. That's right. It all comes together. Yep. Okay. So we are looking forward to next week, which that episode, which is titled "The Tender Trap," we'll be we'll be tracking that one down and and recording it probably uh, next Wednesday. Although technically, um, I'm not playing darts next Tuesday, so if we wanted to do it the same night, it's conceivable we could, but I don't want to promise that. So we'll probably just do it Wednesday anyway. Um, oh wait, Survivor finale. Mm, maybe we'll do it Tuesday. Me and Brian will talk about that. Anyway, if if beyond my muttering rambling, you enjoyed this podcast, guess what? You'll enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page as well. Hey, look, Brian's look look on Brian's Facebook. Wait, I had one more thing to say. You can say it after the uh, <laughs> You can look us up on Facebook. We're the Serious TV Drama Podcast page. Um, like the page and join the conversation about any number of TV shows or anything else you might want to talk about. If you say if you say something inappropriate, I'll just get rid of it. That's all. Don't worry about it. Uh, we are available on most podcast platforms. You can, of course, look us up on Podbean.com. Type in whatever you want. Serious TV drama podcast, STVD, blah, blah, blah. You can access all 300. This will make 395 of our episodes, which means at some point in early January, number 400's coming. I wonder if it'll be special. 
If you happen to use Apple Podcasts, which does not have all 400 of our, excuse me, 390, got a little ahead of myself. I traveled in time. <laughs> 395 of our podcasts there. You can also rate and review us there or not. Plus, you can find us on Instagram, Serious TV Drama is one word, and on what we call X Twitter, uh, which we are there as STVD Podcast. That's STVD as in Serious TV Drama. Like I said, we will be back next week to talk about the next Fargo episode. Um, I also anticipate at some point in the next, probably in the next week and change, there will be a podcast about the final season of The Crown. They had released four episodes a few weeks ago. I thought about doing a quickie podcast just covering those four. Then I realized, eh, why not just wait? They'll release the, fall, the next six in the middle of December. I believe Kimber will, uh, he started doing the crown with me, so we'll finish doing the crown together. It's, it's only, it's only fair. Um, so we will cover that. Um, so that's pretty much December. Fargo, the crown, more Fargo. And then when we get into the new year, we'll be getting to the best of 2023. And we're also going to be having our 400th podcast. I have not yet decided if those should be one and the same or not. It might make more sense, or I might want to do something totally different for number 400. We've, we tend to do something special every time we've hit one of these little, uh, you know, multiple century marks, 100, 200, 300. I think we've had guests on a couple times. I don't remember what we did for 300. I think, was, I, think I came up with some stupid list or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure, I'm pretty sure the man I'm talking to right here will be there and probably Jamie as well. And who knows? Maybe we'll even, maybe we'll even send out a rescue party and then, track down Dan and, and and bring him back for number, at least for number 400. So Brian, thank you so much for joining me once again. Uh, always love talking Fargo with you. Yeah, it was a great podcast. And Scott, I, I did have one thing I wanted to say, and you'll probably want to say something too. Um, you know, Oh, uh, I, know, I know what you're going to say. I, we, I, yeah. we lost a legend um, and we used to do this thing on the serious TV drama podcast when I started joining Scott about what's a criminally underrated show people aren't watching. Um, and back in the day, there was the original criminally underrated show that people weren't watching. And that was Homicide Life on the Street. And Andre Brower uh, was a, a god on that show. Some of the best television acting ever. Um, and I know one of our favorite critics wrote a great piece about Andre Brower, Seppenwall. Alan Seppenwall wrote a great piece about Andre Brower's career. Um, you know, in largely recognized the subway as one of the, you know, best episodes of television ever. Um, but there are a lot of great episodes. He did a lot of other stuff. Uh, he, he later moved to comedy, but uh, Frank Pimbleton on Homicide, uh, one of the best characters, one of the best actors, and R.I.P. Andre, you were you were awesome and uh, gone far too soon. Yeah, I was a really big fan of Andre Brower, as and specifically and especially um, Homicide: Life on the Street and his character, Detective Frank Pimbleton. Um, I had posted something on my own Facebook page earlier today. Which featured, um, I, uh, screenshotted a blog I had written 10, 11 years ago about like the 50 most memorable leads in television history, dramatic leads, I think it might have been. I'm not sure. I think it was, yeah. And, uh, coming in at number 19, apparently, was Detective Frank Pemilton. And in, and in that little mini little write up I did back way back when, um, I specifically referenced the Subway episode because I think that's one of the, the all time it's it's interesting because i don't it just missed making my top 20 tv episodes of all time but i think that might have been because i did it for the last 25 years and that predated that and i think that's why the subway was didn't make that list because it was 1990 it was it was one of those just misses because I think it was like 1997 or something, and I did. Or wait, oh, it was, maybe it was 20 years. I can't I can't remember the whole cutoff. I can't remember. There was a reason why I know it didn't make it, unless it was between 21 and 25. I don't remember. I love that episode. I think there was even a cha uh, 
Channel 13 or WNET, you know, public television, PBS, excuse me, because I realize Channel 13, that's New York. It might not be um, in different cities around the country. Obviously, it's not. Um, PBS used to have a different documentary series. I can't remember which one it was. Famous name, not the American Experience, certainly not Nova. Doesn't matter. They actually did a special episode all about the making of that episode of Homicide. That's how highly regarded it was. Um, but beyond that one specific television episode and all his other work on that series, which by far is like, you know, you know, the, the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae of his career. You mentioned he got into comedy later on, a uh, series I've never actually watched myself, but it's been recommended to me a million times, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I watched clips of him and I said, oh, I love him doing comedy. Um, he was on that series, that, that, Short, lamented series, Men of a Certain Age. You got to see him play off of people like Scott Bakula and Ray Romano, which was kind of always fun. Um, he's a- The Good a, Fight. Who's on the last season, that was the very last season of The Good Fight. Um, go back to The Good Fight, or go back to, he had a very significant role for several episodes of House. That was really, truly memorable. And you got to see like two uh, powerhouses of the acting medium, especially for television, um, Hugh Laurie and Andre Brower get to play off each other. And it, it, the guy could not do anything bad. He He was just... Instant. We 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 use the word gravitas a lot when we talk about actors on this podcast, and when we see, um, and it often, more often than not, it tends to pertain to an actor of a certain age and stature. You know, we're talking about Succession. Brian Cox has gravitas. You know, we're talking about what Andre Brower had gravitas in the very first episode of Homicide. Yep. You know, and that was. If he died at the age of 61, we're talking about, you know, 30-something years later, earlier, rather. So we're talking that very first episode of Homicide, he's probably, what, 29, 30? Go back to movies. He was in Glory. Yep. Great in Glory. That That's years earlier. You know, you can just go through it. An amazing career. It shocked me to hear he had passed. I, I don't like hearing about people that I really hold in such high regard dying. I don't like it when they're that close to my, that, well, it's not that close to my age, but close enough where it's like, ooh. <laughs> you know, it's not like Matthew Perry was like, wait, a year older, but uh, still like, ooh. But, oh, you know, December always sucks when it comes to, like, because it feels, always seems like the the universe has to, like, okay, we got we got to get rid of a whole bunch more before the year is out, you know. These are the ones that may or may not make the, the in memoriam section of the next award show or something. I don't know. But uh, that was a shocking one. That was a bad one. Um, I have not, did not know Seppenwall had written a piece, but it doesn't surprise me because I know Seppenwall was a fan of, of the Homicide television series, if nothing else. So I am curious enough to check that out. I'll, I'll look it up uh, later today or tomorrow. So thank you for bringing it to my attention. Uh, well, I know we're both big fans, and I, I just wanted to add our chorus to the rest in peace. Oh, so absolutely. I mean, yeah. So anyway, good night. <laughs> good. <laughs> That's a limp good night. Thank you for bringing my attention, Brian. Good night to you. Good night to everyone out there. See you next week. Mm-hmm.